We've been talking for the last week or so about God's positioning system, GPS. Reminded of a story, uh, back in 2013, I had an opportunity to go from Salem to Richmond, Virginia for a minister's conference that was being put on by the Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship, which is a, a church planting group in Virginia. They've morphed into Waypoint Church Partners and have actually spread through several different states. Well, that was a trip of about 190 miles from Salem. So I pulled out my phone and I said, Siri, directions to Journey Church, Richmond, Virginia. And so Siri went into her thing and thought about it and brought out and pulled up a map and said, you go and you take a right and you follow this down. Well, I did that and it was such a wonderful drive. It was a beautiful day. I had plenty of time to get to where I was going before they got started. And uh, only thing is, is I didn't wind up at Journey Church. I wound up at Journey Baptist Church. Yes, in the Richmond area, but anybody know in a city that is as big as Richmond that being in the Richmond area does not mean I'm where I need to be? 18 miles from my actual destination. And so instead of being 15, 20 minutes early, I was more like 20 minutes late because that 20 miles I had to fight through Richmond to get to the other side. What happened? Well, the preloaded map didn't have the right church because this was a plant that hadn't been around very long. And it took a while to actually figure it out. I even had to call a number to get the right address so I could find it. So, my GPS got me lost. 190 mile trip got me within 20 miles of where I'm going. So it was what? I guess if we're going to be fair, we could say it was 92% right. Yet there are times when 92% right is what? Is 100%? Yeah. Ephesians 2, God has told us exactly where we are and where we are headed. God raised us up in Christ. And set, set, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we are in Christ Jesus and he is in the heavenly realms. Therefore, since we are in Christ and he is in the heavenlies, we are in the heavenly realm as well. Now, how does that work when it's pretty obvious that we're right here in Michigan? How does that work? Can you be in two places at one time? Think about this. Almost every nation in the world has an embassy that's actually owned by the United States. Our country has an embassy in various countries around the world. You know what that means? No matter what nation it is, that embassy 
is American soil. The land does not belong to that foreign country. It belongs to the United States of America. By the way, other embassies that are here are afforded that exact same luxury. Now, if you as a U.S. citizen are in Europe or in Asia or on any other continent, the moment you step into our embassy there, you know where you are? You are home. You are in the U.S. of A. But you are only in the U.S. because you are in that embassy. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at here when he says we are in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Because that's our connection, being in Christ Jesus. You know, you can stop and think about that from the other direction. If we are not in Christ, then we are not in the heavenly realm. So, why does that matter? It matters because where we are influences who has control over our lives. If I'm in a foreign country and there's no embassy there, I am at the mercy of the authorities of that country. If I happen to be arrested, even if it's just for walking around by being American, there's nobody there to protect me. If I'm imprisoned, there's no authority to step up and defend me. You see, one of the major purposes of having these embassies around the world is that an embassy is to serve and to protect the citizens of its nation. Now, we tend to think about it the other way. That embassy is there because we have relations with that country and it's a way that we have communication. But it also works that it's a protection for us. And if I find myself in trouble, I can flee to an embassy and I know that I'm on U.S. soil and legally that foreign country, that foreign power cannot touch me. Neither the police nor a militia or anything else from that nation can reach in there and harm me because I am safe within its walls. That's what Paul is telling us. We are in the heavenly realms. We may be in Michigan, but the soil on which we stand is a heavenly embassy. And you are safe protected the evil one cannot touch you in fact that's exactly what first john 5 18 says we know that anyone born of god does not continue to sin the one who was born of god keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him two nations going here the the one who was born of god is who This is the teacher in me. This is a response time. The one who is born of God is who? Christ. Who's the evil one? Satan. Yes. The one born 
of God, Christ, when we are in him, he keeps us safe. The first few verses of Ephesians 2 tells us that that hasn't always been true. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you lived when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the king of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. That's the way the NIV translates the word sarks, which means flesh. Satisfying our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Whose wrath? The Lord's wrath. You see, family, at one time, you were a citizen of this world. At one time, you belonged to Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. At one time, you lived among the people of this world who were subject to the wrath of God. But now, that is not true. Now, I know we got all these modern songs, but you have to, you have to forgive me. I grew up in a southern church, and we used to sing a whole bunch of hymns. And there are times when hymns come to my mind. And the one that comes to my mind when I really think about this... The world is not my home. I'm just uh, passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore because I'm not part of it anymore. I'm here. I'm in it, but I'm not part of it. Now, if I go to another country, I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb. I can remember going to India, and the average height of people in India, they're closer to here. And their complexion is very different from mine. I am going to look, not look like the people of that country. I'm not going to dress like them. I'm not going to act like them. I'm not going to think like them. Paul in Ephesians 4, he says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live like, and they say the Gentiles, and that usually brings up the idea of the Jews and the Gentiles. That, that word's also translated as nations, okay? You, you, you must no longer live like the nations do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So you see, if I'm in the heavenlies yet, I'm in this country of the kingdom of the air. I need to look differently than the people of the world. I need to dress differently. I need to act differently. I need to think differently because this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. In fact, even the people of this world realize that we're supposed to look and dress and act differently than they do. And when we don't, do you know what they call us? Oh, you've heard that word before. Hypocrites. In other words, the pagans, they call us out because we say one thing but do another. Christian siblings, we don't belong here. And to be honest with you, I really don't want to belong. The way the people of the world live, act, and think is full of futility and darkness, ignorance, sensuality. Paul even says a hardened heart. So many people live in despair because they're following the ways of this world because they have no vision of the world to come. And honestly, that's the kind of life I want out of, that I wanted out of when I became a Christian. The fact is, I did live like that. And it hurt me. Now, I've been out of the country several different places. I've been over Europe, uh, uh, did um, missions trips into India and to Haiti, especially uh, India and Haiti. Going to those two countries, you, know, you have to have your visa lined up. You have to have passport, all that stuff and all. Do you know what else? When you're going to someplace outside of a first world area, you probably also have to have a bunch of shots. Yes, some of you who have traveled, I can get an amen from. I can see your heads, yeah? Shots. Government mandated. And official warnings of certain things that I have to be careful about while I'm in that country. And you know one thing that is really consistent that gets said? They warn me not to drink the water. When you're in a foreign country, don't drink the water. Why not? Well, because our water's filtered. It's purified. There's a lot of things that may be living in the water that are taken out before it gets to where we drink it. And in other countries, that's not the case. Now, they won't get sick drinking our water, but I can guarantee you... You go to Haiti and you drink water that's not from a sealed bottle, it will make you sick. 
because it isn't pure. It isn't clean. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul tells us, don't drink the water. Specifically, he says, don't lie. We look there and we see, therefore, each of you should put off falsehood and speak truthfully of his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Lying will hurt us. It hurts our witness. It hurts our God. Don't drink the water. Verse 26, Paul says, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Because you see, uncontrolled anger damages relationships. It will hurt us. It will hurt our witness. It will hurt our God. Don't drink the water. Verse 28, not only does it says, don't steal, but it says, get a job so you can give to the poor. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Let me ask you a question. What is our motivation for sharing with people in need? If we have been loved by God and we are supposed to be emanating the love of God, do we need any other motivation? Remember, it's not your job to convict. Whose job is it to convict? It's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to what? To say and to do what we know to do. So the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to convict. Are you following me here? Okay. Don't drink the water of selfishness. We are citizens of a different country. Selfishness will hurt us. It will hurt our witness. It will hurt our God. You know, right? Say it with me. Don't drink the water. Verse 29, going right down the line, Paul says, change your language. No profanity, no insults, no gossip, but use language that is helpful for building others up according to their need. Where's the focus? Here or focus is out there, right? According to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't drink the polluted water of polluted thoughts. We are citizens of a different country. It will hurt us. It will hurt our witness. It will hurt our God. Don't drink the water. Verse 30, we should avoid indulging in bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every other form of malice. Why? Because that kind of activity grieves God. 
The Holy Spirit. God. Don't drink the water of graft. We are citizens of a different country. It will hurt us. It will hurt our witness. It hurts our God. Don't drink the water. Family, we must realize that this world is not our home. We are citizens in a different realm, in a heavenly realm. Now, we've been talking about some negative aspects. I got that. I know. You got to understand I'm a preacher. I got to tell you what the Word of God says. Okay? But in reality, there's also some positive advantages as well to being in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 2.3 tells us that before we came, became Christians, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, our flesh, and we were objects of wrath. I've already read that one, right? But we're not anymore. We are no longer objects of God's wrath. We're not at odds with God anymore. Paul over in Romans 8 says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because we are citizens of a new nation. We are new creatures. We are in Christ. And our country is in the heavenly realm, not this earth. Think about this. When an army has a choice between being on the top of the hill or at the bottom of the hill in order to fight a battle, which one do they prefer? The top of the hill, right? Because it's well known that defending the high ground is much easier, right? It's undisputed military strategy. Always fight from the high ground. Friends, we have the high ground in the spiritual battle. We have the advantage over Satan. But here's the thing. I only have the high ground as long as I stay in Christ. So how do we get in Christ? Colossians 2, Paul writing again. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised up through your faith in the power of God who raised him, who raised Jesus from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ he forgave us all our sins. And you can keep reading. It's all the same. You see the imagery he's using in this section here? 
What's, what's this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, of your flesh? You know, when, when, when I think about that, I, I can't think about circumcision and, and not be drawn to God's covenant with Abraham, right? Do you remember what the circumcision was to do? It was an outward sign that they belonged to God, right? Much more than that, being the people of God, there's commitment. There are things that are going on. But it was an entering into a covenant. He's saying before you were in covenant with God, you were dead. But now that you have come into covenant, you're alive. And we come into covenant with him in Christ through baptism. Chapter 3, Colossians. Since you then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you die. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, friends, when we believe in Christ, when we repent of our sins, when we confess Jesus as our Lord and King, and we are baptized into Christ, we are made alive. We are forgiven of all our sins. We put on, Paul says, we clothe ourselves with Christ and we are covered in him and we are in him. And we become citizens of a different world, a heavenly kingdom. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the clarity that is there. And we thank you, Father, for the knowledge that you have come not only creating us, giving us free will, but you came in the flesh in order to give us the opportunity to be members of your family, to be members of your kingdom and that you make us alive in Christ. We thank you, Father, for your love and we thank you for your forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.